Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Design Land. Uh, as usual, I'm Glenn Carmichael and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Rod Sampera. Welcome, Rod. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? I'm not too bad. A little cold in Melbourne at the moment. But uh, today we wanted to talk about something that, honestly, we've spoken about at a higher level in the podcast before, but talking about why and when um, you should be thinking about uh, designing and building native, and that's native for your, your mobile device uh, apps, your desktop apps, even even things for, for, for media like Apple TV. Um, you know, we get this question a lot uh, in, in our roles around like, well, you know, should we just build a progressive web app or maybe something using low code like Power Platform? Um, and there's definitely, you know, use cases for, for, for those uh, development types, even cross-platform things like Xamarin and React Native, you know, have, have a place in the world. But we're going to talk today a little bit about, you know, why, why and when uh, we should be adopting native development. Um, most of our conversation will be, be focused around Apple and, and the Apple human interface guidelines. But of course, you know, this is also applicable for if you're building a native, um, native app on, on the Android ecosystem. Um, you would, you know, similarly be looking to Material, Material U, uh, and looking to develop in Kotlin. So, so Rod, um, I suppose I'll throw to you. You're the one that's been doing most of the uh, native application development and design of late. What are your thoughts on on native iOS development? Well, I, I think you started with a really good point, which is native is not always a solution, but for some teams and for some people, it's 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 inherently challenging to identify when it is because there's, there's a lot of variables that go into play and at the end of the day it, what does make what makes the most sense in the current business context is the answer that you're trying to to find i have a very yeah. very high level way of breaking it up that, that i think oversimplifies things but i hope that in a good way i like to describe it as reach versus rich experiences contrasting web or low code or cross-platform solutions versus solutions that are native to a particular platform. So usually at a very high level, anything that is web or, or cross-platform, when you're really trying to reach a very big audience with relatively low interaction, like, I don't know, if you, for example, if you're sending out a survey or a form or a sign up to something, building a native experience for that when you're, when you're really trying to reach as much people as you can for a relatively short period of time or for a relatively low number. Like, I don't know, if you think about something that happens once a month or maybe once every three months, <coughs> then native sometimes might be an overkill. On the other hand, rich is when, when part of the business value you provide or the customer's value you provide is, is all about that really rich experience that you get to play with all the bells and whistles and and really the experience makes the difference or becomes a value differentiator for your business and there's definitely use cases for rich experiences that approach a broad audience um, or, or, or a wide audience and in those cases you might end up in situations where the answer is you should probably build both build a web version to support some areas of your or of your audience and then build native for the right platforms but at the end yeah. of the day, it, it all comes down to, to the particular business case that you're trying to solve, especially because most of the native iOS development that we do at Purple and 
likely that we're going to focus as part of this conversation is in terms of business apps, which is a bit of a different world to consumer apps. Yeah, I th- and I think that, that like you've got a really similar kind of mental model for determining, you know, that, that reach versus rich. The way I kind of think of it is there's a couple of different levers um, where, where it, it really helps to make that determination as to whether or not something should be, you know, native or, or, you know, any of the other options. And, you know, you touched on it there, the frequency of use, like how often is somebody interacting with this? If it's an everyday kind of thing, then, you know, thinking about that user experience and, and making it, you know, a, a better thing to interact with obviously matters. The user volume as well, you know, if it's going to be used by a lot of people on a, a relatively high frequency, it's almost a no-brainer. But, you know, when you start playing, ratcheting that down, you know, maybe there's only five people at a business that are ever going to interact with this tool, you know, do you invest that time and energy, um, even if it was something that they're interacting with, say, maybe once a week. And so you've got those two things kind of against each other. The other thing, and this came up a little bit, uh, particularly during the pandemic, uh, about whether or not the experience that we're designing and developing is a permanent thing, a permanent fixture of a product or a service or something like that, or if it's ephemeral. Uh, and so, you know, uh, some forms and different sort of uh, applications that people needed to interact with uh, for different reasons, for capturing or, or submitting information during the pandemic, you know, that, we knew that wasn't going to be a forever thing, that that wasn't an application that w- was going to be in use in three or four years time. Uh, and so that played into some of the, that decision making as well. There's this perspective that we like to have in which it's important to make sure that we're getting the, the most ROI from any investment right? And what we found over time is that the main driver for return on investment, particularly in building apps, but in any solution is user adoption. If you come up with a solution that it's not the right fit for the people that are going to use it, particularly in a business context, then they will find ways around it. They will stall adoption. They they won't necessarily... Um, take it on board because it's not making their lives easier or it's not helping them in any particular way or it's providing any benefit, any benefit over their current experience. And when we're talking user adoption, the main driver for user adoption is a field that we enjoy playing in, which is user experience. Because it's about really making sure that you're identifying the needs of those users and then you're coming up with solutions that they, they're simple to use, they're efficient, they are relevant, and, and, and they, they, they really take into consideration those, those requirements, such as, do I need connectivity to perform this task? And if, it's, if there's a lot of offline engagement or if it's in areas where connectivity is flaky, then native solutions will give you the best experience. If, if, if you expect people to always be online or, or able to connect and maybe it doesn't matter if they can't do a task right then and there and they can wait a few minutes or wait to get back, then maybe it might be a case for, for web apps. But then how we close the loop, because so far we talked about return investment being driven by user adoption and user adoption being driven by user experience. But particularly in the world of apps, something that really informs your user experience is your development platform and how you build those apps which kind of brings us back to our topic today because if you choose to develop web technologies you are also saying you're saying yes to usually the the faster go to market sometimes arguably not always you're saying yes to a more streamlined distribution 
because you just send a link and then it's easier for people to get there. There's less friction, there's less downloading and, and a few other things. But at the same time, you're compromising on other elements that are usually fundamental for great user experience and great user adoption. And things that sometimes as part of a project team you might not think of. Thankfully these days, it's, it's things like accessibility is way more top of mind when it should be intrinsical, not just top of mind. But building for native platforms, you get that. a lot of that out of the box. You get you get accessibility, um, responsiveness to font sizing, to screen readers, to color contrast. You also kind of can choose to buy into the platform's user interaction paradigms. Um, I don't know, question to the audience, have you ever used an app on iOS that feels like Android or an app on Android that feels like iOS only to be extremely frustrated that the back button doesn't work or that you need to find a back button to go <laughs> to where you came from? And date pickers and like input fields, all these things that are basically the... F- building blocks for all our all, all the business interactions in it when you're capturing or reading data. A platform has a lot of opinions on what that should look like. And when you choose to either not play into a platform or you might go native and still choose to dismiss the platform's paradigms, you're kind of creating all these challenging points for you in terms of user experience and user adoption because people using these devices are going to jump from one app to the next And they're going to have to figure out every time how they interact with that app. Whereas if if you stick to the basics, then you basically get all of that interaction for free out of the box. And then organizational change management becomes easier. Training becomes easier. And everything feels way more intuitive. Yeah, it comes it comes back to that that like don't make me think. Like that's that that core kind of thing is like if somebody has increased cognitive load interacting with your app because there's something different than what they expect then you know we haven't done a great job uh, as a designer in there and you sort of you touched on two sort of points of you know um challenge that we face when we're having a conversation around adoption of native as a, as a better as a better solution um, in the use cases where those parameters of you know rich versus reach or the kind of levers that i was talking about there one of them is that sometimes you'll get people uh, typically leaders in an organization that are like okay if user adoption equals ROI, um, you know, you, your, your way of doing it is that a great user experience equals user adoption equals ROI. Um, what if I mandate utilization of this application to get the user adoption to realize the ROI? We've seen this happen, you know, a number of times and, and it just, it doesn't work. Um, as you said, people find a way around it. People shortcut it. You, you have low uh, compliance with, 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 with the application or its utilization. Uh, and so, it's just not this, you know, telling somebody that they must do something versus making it a, making it a process that is a delight, that is simple, that is streamlined. Uh, you know, they, they don't equate with one another. And on the the point around the designers, you know, that, that, you know, we, we run into it even now where, you know, there is almost ego around like, well, why I don't, I don't want to just take the off the shelf components to build this thing. I want to make my own version of it. I think that I can do a better job. And, and that's, there's a hubris to that, you know, it, sure it's fun, but the native components that are offered as part of the, the, you know, for Apple, the human interface guidelines, you've got native, you know, you said date pickers and time pickers, like they've been tested and iterated and refined 
to, to then go and come up with your own date picker, that, that's deeply time consuming and complex, but it's also going to present an interaction and an interface for the user that they're going to have to kind of stop and think about. It's not the same as what they see in their calendar. It's not the same as what they see when they're trying to like book, uh, you know, an Airbnb or something like that. It's this weird and different kind of thing. Um, and so you, there is, there's this level of kind of why, you know, outside of your own sort of sense of pride, uh, why, why go and do that? Um, you know, there's, there's examples outside of mobile as well. You know, we were chatting about this um, earlier. I'm genuinely frustrated uh, with certain applications on the Apple TV. There's a native media player that works really well for Apple TV that's designed to work really well with the remote that comes with it, with the, the um, software remote that works on your iPhone. Um, and some, some uh, I, I won't mention, I, we, I did mention, I did drop, I did name and shame with you before, but I won't do it on the podcast. Um, but some, some um, apps have decided, no, we, we think we can do it better. And, and literally, there's one app where we don't know how to fast forward or rewind content. So if we missed something, we want to go back. We can't because um, it's just not built to sort of work, work well in that way. And that's, you know, I think a consequence of they've built uh, multi-platform. And so they've had to, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, use their own sort of thing. But that means that you're providing a, a less good experience for people on Apple TV. And I imagine probably a less good experience for people that are using like, Google TV or Fire TV sticks and stuff like that as well, because none of it's designed to work in the way that it's intended for that particular platform. It might not always necessarily be because we're thinking that we can do better. Sometimes it's a matter of budget and roadmap. And maybe there was a decision made in terms of we can only build this once, let's build it cross-platform because that's going to be faster and that's going to be cheaper. And what we found in our experience in developing native solutions is that, yes, you might start getting results sometimes with a shorter time to market, but not always. But at the end of the day, you really risk compromising certain user groups who will have very low adoption for your technology. You're, you're sharing this experience that you're having with, with an Apple TV app that you Probably if you get to choose between this app or the next app, and if it's not because the show that you're watching only exists there, then you might not just go and browse around because you don't feel comfortable. And that's a level of friction that means you're losing audience, you're losing revenue, you're losing money. We also had some insights from a company that's very close to our hearts where there was a particular workflow in their sales experience that was built on web technologies and like there was some interaction between native components and web components and through some design exploration there was this hypothesis that native would be perceived as as a better experience so they did some a b testing they built the native experience they built the web experience and through a b testing they found uh was it like a 10 15 something percent increase in conversion rates um or, or even higher i uh, I should have, if I knew I was gonna, this was going to come up, I should have found the number. But it was, it was quite significant and it was very interesting because it was driven by this idea that when people are in a platform, they want to experience that platform how they're used to experiencing that platform. The volume of sales going through that particular customer's platform, that 10 to 15% increase, like the additional thought and cost of 
building something natively versus just a single web flow, I reckon maybe two days, three days, you've covered that cost. The good thing is, though, for designers out there, it's not that, oh, you need to relinquish your creative capabilities to what the technology has to offer, the platform has to offer. I like to think a bit of it more like building Lego blocks where you have these amazing building blocks that you can use to create an experience. So on the one hand, they free up a lot of brain power for you to focus on making sure that you're solving the right problems for the people to engage with the people that you're building a solution for. And also to not have to second guess how to do the basics like lists, dropdowns, tables, navigation. At the same time, there might always be opportunities for very focused components that do address a particular very specific decisions. Yeah, that do address yeah. a particular business case or or, or or a particular feature request that, that you've identified people need and solves that in a way better way than native components because maybe it just doesn't exist or maybe it's yeah. the, the, the that exists really is not best suited for that use case. So there's always an opportunity, but then you get to focus that that innovation or, or that exploration in a particular subset of, of the solution or the tool or the app instead of it being the entire thing and compromising user adoption and user experience. Yeah, a lot of time, you know, it could be something that is an interaction that's just it's not in the Lego toolkit for you to kind of pull out and, and, and use in your from your toolbox. It could even be something, you know, uh, like a like brand, like, you know, there's branding or something like that that requires some some non-native work that happens. Um, that should be done, obviously, with, you know, great thought and very deliberately. Um, you know, for example, brand, when we're thinking about the, the way that the application is structured, um, you know, a lot of the time brands will sort of want or you know, brand teams within an organization will sort of demand that there should be a, a landing page for the app, a home page that, you know, you, you come to and there's just like some content there that maybe or probably isn't actually related to what you've come to the application to do. Um, I, you, you know, my thoughts on that. Um, you also, you've, you've seen my no hamburger menus t-shirt. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on sort of where that navigation hierarchy is um, not, not necessarily aligned with best practice because there's some business uh, sort of requirements that, that go against what, what, what's best practice on the platform? I think that's very much driven by some old habits from the days of web, a web-dominant access to the internet. There was a time where everyone wanted the carousel banner, right? And there's infinite implementations of a carousel banner. And over time, I think there's enough evidence to say that a carousel in the home screen is probably the worst thing you can do for user engagement because it confuses people. It doesn't have a clear value proposition. It's a bit flashy. It might make sense in some contexts, like some e-commerce websites, maybe, Um in that same way, the hamburger menu was a very stylish way of kind of hiding everything under the rug and not having to commit to a serious information architecture bit of work. Yeah, it's lazy IA. So chuck it, chuck it all over on the left-hand side there. <laughs> yeah, that's not even like the period where no one, some people didn't understand what the three bars, aka hamburger menu, meant. And then you have some say menu, some say 
just have hamburger, some go creative, and even, I think even Apple has two bars sometimes now in, in their website. I don't know if Sometimes, that. but those two bars are also used as a grip handle for reordering lists. It's, yeah, yes. you know, they're not perfect in their yeah. consistency. Yeah. But when you, when, you, when you invest in a platform and you're designing for a platform, it's important that you understand the, the navigation paradigms of that platform. For example, iOS, and I think it applies to most of Android as well. There's tab bars. And, and what I've seen many times is in terms of tab bars is that um, if they don't follow the right information architecture, you might end up with tabs that you tab on a feature on one and it sends you to the next one instead of being self-contained, let's say, rabbit holes of interaction. Disorienting, um, yeah. Yeah, which is disorienting, might get people lost. Um, and sometimes you might jump to breaking your app into tabs because, I don't know, you get a, a design system and the first thing that design system has is it lets you copy and paste a fancy tab bar component that you can tweak. And you might not need a tab bar if you can really distill the functionality of the app down to its core features, particularly for minimum viable products. Then you might not even need a tab bar and you have a different kind of navigation architecture. But, and this applies to navigation, and like we were saying before, styles and regular components. It's not just about the aesthetics and the user experience. It's also about the development, particularly with more contemporary frameworks for native iOS development like Swift and SwiftUI. Building anything that it's not in the box can be challenging. If it's a specific component, there's more overhead. That's great. Yeah. But if you need to reinvent an input field, if you need to reinvent a list or all those things, you're going to be spending a lot of time getting it right. It might not work when you move across to other platforms like from the phone to the watch or then up to the iPad or the Mac. And you're going to find yourself writing and rewriting a lot of code or getting a lot of compile errors because of all the edge cases that you might get caught up. So it's not just how it looks. Yeah, every one of those custom bricks, you've got to keep that up to date. You know, if you build using what's in the toolbox, you know, new operating system version comes out, things look different, change in, in certain ways, your app your, your, it will just adapt. It will look right and correct and it will match the system. But anything that you do that's outside of that, you've got to constantly update. Um, I've just kept, keep, kept one eye on the clock throughout all of this and you and I could probably talk for another hour uh, around all of these things and you know you get accessibility out of the box and a whole bunch of other features and functions but um uh we, we try to wrap it here um we, we might do an extended episode going into some some more detail around all of that but um anything else to add before we wrap up well on that if there is interest in us doing a more extended episode let us know wherever you're listening to this if you know us just send us a message in this LinkedIn post, maybe you found this or the podcast platform. Hey, reviews are always welcome as well. Yeah, drop that five star. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think I think that's a good point. Look, something that we really like to focus on, particularly when building native solutions, but it applies to anything we're designing. Try to keep it simple. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Focus on the main thing that's making people's life easier, better, or really smoothing things out for them and make sure that you get that right and then you can build around yeah, that 100% awesome alright so that's all for this episode thanks for chatting Rod thanks for chatting Glenn 
Pleasure as always. And see everyone in the next one. Cheers.